0: Welcome to RUF, uh, the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th. It's my wife's birthday today, so it's been a good day in the Rhodes household. Um, Hey, so if you've been with us, you know we are going through the book of Revelation. If you haven't, welcome. Um, We've been saying every week that basically, uh, if you've ever, if you kind of grew up around the church or in the church, Revelation is one of those books that we often don't know what to do with. It's one of those books that shows up in weird places. It's one of those books that uh, at first glance seems really confusing and maybe a little bit creepy and we just kind of don't know what to do with it. But we've been saying if you've been here week by week, and if you haven't, uh, you'll hear me say uh, tonight and from basically every sermon here out. that The Book of Relation is a book from Jesus about Jesus. And really what it is is, is a retelling of the gospel story through images and allusions mainly drawn from the Old Testament. And what it's trying to do, the whole book, we're going to see this tonight, is it's really trying to show us that that, um, things are not as they seem. That there is a reality behind what we can see that really uh, is a greater, deeper, truer reality, uh, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to see uh, that in our passage. Revelation 4, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Let me read it for us. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns in their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne and each side of the throne are four living creatures, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let me pray for us, and I want to... Attempt to unpack a little bit of this passage tonight. Let's pray first, though. Father, this is is a vision that we need, and we thank you that you have preserved it for us, and we thank you that you have given it to us, that we might know um, more of your glory, more of your honor, why you alone are worthy of our praise, why you alone are worthy of our lives. And, Father, I pray as we um, look at your word together tonight that you would... um, Send your spirit to give us eyes to see. Uh, we confess that apart from your spirit, um, we have no understanding uh, of your word, much less the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come without measure and that you would do a work in us. Um, and so, Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so it's almost Valentine's. And I was thinking about what was your most what's the most awkward date or maybe interaction you've had with the opposite sex I was thinking about this, mine is, is pretty easy, I was a junior or uh, between my junior and senior year and there was a girl that I kind of really latched into in youth group. she was a couple years younger and so I at one of our youth groups over the summer I worked up the courage to ask her out on a date um, and so I had a kind of plan so she said yes and Sumter was a, is a small town, that's where I'm from And so really over the summer, there were kind of two things to do. Uh, One was go to Applebee's, which was, uh, of course, Applebee's was still, I mean, I'm old, so you guys, you know, Applebee's was literally one of our only restaurants in town. Chicken Finger Basket was pretty incredible, so why not Applebee's? Heck yeah. So Applebee's and then uh, the P15s, it was like the summer league ball. So we're gonna go to Applebee's for, for an early dinner and then go watch the P15s play. And you have to understand about me... Some of you have been around long enough to know... I'm I'm a little bit of an emotional man... I'm a little bit of a um, hopeless romantic at times... And so I had really been thinking about this girl for a long time... And so I decided that I was going to... Before the date, get her a card... A romantic card... And I was going to write a little note inside... And we are going to go on the date... We are going to go to the game... And then I was going to give her the card... So we go to Applebee's... We have our chicken fingers... We go to the baseball game, we have, make awkward small talk, and then as I'm about to drive her home, I give her the card, and she opens it. It's just the two of us in my, my little sedan, and she opens it, <laughs> and I had inscribed on the card, <clears throat> her name, let's just call her Mary. Mary, really had fun on the date, and I, literally I wrote, I love you. <laughs> love Sammy. So you can imagine (laughs) this poor 15-year-old girl opening this and experiencing a range of emotions (laughs) that you can imagine. Probably just trying to get out, get home as fast as she could. Uh, We ended up not dating for a while after that, as you might imagine. And then we ended up dating, you know, about six months later for a long time. And she's not my (laughs) Mary is not my wife. Uh, So (laughs) that didn't work out. But I was thinking about, you know, sometimes those stories are funny. Sometimes those stories, like, that the way that story ended was really, really painful. It ended, actually, in college, my sophomore year, and it was really painful. And I was thinking about how, in moments like that, don't you wish it would be so sweet if we had, like, a time machine where we could go back, where 37-year-old me could go back to 17-year-old me and say, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Like, this whole thing's not going to play out like you want it to. It's not going to go where you want it to, but trust me, it's going to be okay. And when I think about that, what would you say to your, your, your younger self if you could go back? Um, I think part of what Revelation 4 is inviting us into is John is doing something like that. He's trying to break through life as we know and see it to show us something that is deeper and truer, and it helps frame everything. It helps frame everything that seems big or small in a really uh, hopeful and helpful way. And that's what John's vision, I hope, is going to do for us. So there are three, w- there's so much we could do in this passage, but I'm going to limit it to, to three images in this passage that I think help us make sense of what we need to see tonight, what we need, like how we need to see uh, beyond what we can see to a deeper and greater reality. Three images. First is there's a throne we need to see. Second is there's a rainbow we need to see. And then lastly, there's a door that we need to see. So a throne, a rainbow, and a door. Uh, and I, let me say, before I forget, I am drawing deeply from my two, two Mats of my life, Matt Howell and Matt Trexler, who are REF campus ministers. A lot of this is coming from those guys. Let me give credit where credit is due. So first, a throne that we need to see. So look at the verse, uh, in the first voice, the, uh, in verse 1 and 2. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The good news is that someone is seated on the throne of the universe. The bad news is that it often doesn't feel that way. Um, just, we, you could take, even right now, I look around the world, or even just a look around your own life. And it often doesn't feel like someone is seated on the throne of the universe who is perfectly working out all things for our good. Just think about in John's case for a minute. In John's case, we've said this week by week, he's owned this essentially a Greek Alcatraz. He is living out the rest of his old age imprisoned, and he has seen his brothers and sisters, some of his dear friends, die or be severely persecuted at the hands of Domitian. And Jesus shows up and he's showing him that that's not, because I'm sure that felt to John like that was all he could see. Is there anyone on the throne? Is someone seated on the throne? And Jesus shows up and he shows him that there is a throne and there's someone sitting on it. And the one who is sitting on it, as we have to see, he is sitting down. He's not nervously pacing. He's not anxiously fidgeting with a fidget spinner. He is calmly sitting down, seated on this throne. Why? Because he has everything, everything in this world under complete control. Um, I had a couple friends point out to me there was a a couple years ago, there was this World War II documentary, and they were interviewing soldiers that had fought, uh, especially uh, on the beaches of Normandy. And there was this one back to back interview that was fascinating where there's one guy who literally stormed the beach, and there was another guy that they interviewed right after who was a bomber pilot who was up in the air. And the guy who stormed the beach, he said this. He said, when he looked at what they were facing, he said, There's no way. As he's storming that beach, he's thinking, There is, he literally says in this documentary, There's no way we're going to win this war. There's no way we're going to win this battle. And then they immediately interviewed the guy that was up in the air in his his plane, you know, sending out, dropping bombs. And he had a completely different reaction. He actually said, there's no way we're going to lose this battle. There's no way we're going to lose. What was the difference? The guy in the the sky had a a more uh, complete picture, right? And what John is trying to give us in John 4 is a more complete picture That right now your life might feel like no one is on the throne. That God, is he there? Certainly he doesn't feel like he's ruling over your life and working all things for good. And John 4 is inviting us to see, no, in fact, there is one who is seated on the throne who has everything under complete control. But again, sometimes our problem is that we don't believe this. Life doesn't feel this way, right? Uh, We don't really believe that either God is in control or we don't believe that God really does care for us down to the detail, down to, who we, down to what we do tomorrow for Valentine's Day. What we do or don't do for Valentine's, right? That it feels like sometimes, does he know what he's doing in my life? And so we forget that there's a throne and he's sitting on it. I love the way that Tim Keller says it. He says it like this. He says, worry is not believing that God will get it right and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Which is why, if you're like me, what we try to do instead of remembering and, and really worshiping God who is seated on this throne, instead we try to anxiously control things. We try, to, we try to make sure that things go the way that we want them to go. And worry, if you think about it in this picture, worry is what, what are we doing? We're climbing on the throne. We are, we are trying to anxiously make sure that things go the way we need them to go. And we think about it like this. What if I don't get the grades that I need? What if I don't get the right internship that I need? Uh, what if i spend 4 years at college 5 years 6 for some of us and don't meet my person what if i gain too much weight what if i lose too much weight what if i keep struggling with the very thing that i'm struggling with that i don't want to talk about and what if i struggle with that thing for forever own and own and over and over and before we know it we're on the throne and we've we've missed this glorious vision of god sitting on his throne and ruling. And the question becomes, what would it look like if we actually believed that God was on the throne? If we actually looked in our souls every day to see that he is, there is a throne and he is sitting on it. And I think it's, it's a couple things, right? We would, be able to, we would still work hard at school, right? But we'd also be able to rest. We'd be able to take a break from studying. We'd be able to take a break and just go hang out with friends. We would, we would, we would still ask people out but we would also know that even if they reject us ultimately, even if they're not into us, it's okay because we have someone on the throne who is working everything out exactly how he, how he wants it to go. So the first question for you is, what are you trying, how are you climbing on the throne? Where in your life are you climbing up on that throne? Or where are you forgetting that there is a throne and God is seated on it? Where are you trying to anxiously control things? So first, there's this throne we have to see. But second, there's a rainbow that we have to see. This is weird. This isn't, uh, like my, my one friend Matt Truxler said, you know, this isn't some weird Wizard of Oz kind of thing here. We're gonna Let me unpack what this rainbow is supposed to be. Look at verse 3. It says, He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So it's, just, it's a weird vision, right? All around this throne is this beautiful, clear, visible rainbow. And it means at least two things. Here's what it means. On the one hand, it means the, the image of the rainbow is saying that the one who is owned the throne is absolutely worthy and beautiful. He is worthy of our praise and he is breathtakingly captivating such that the four living creatures that we think there's a lot of different ideas of what that might mean. But basically, you, all you need to know is they are the highest in their order. And these four living creatures are so, they are the highest that they can be. And they are so, they are captivated by this one who is sitting on the throne. And same with the elders, the 24 elders. They are captivated. They are bowing down in worship, literally singing over and over and over. In other words, they can't quit talking about him. They can't get over this, his beauty and his worthiness. Um, That interesting phrase, worthy, is fascinating. In that day, John's readers would have known when an emperor or a king, or someone in really a high position would come into a room. It was a cultural uh, norm for the, whoever was in the crowd or whoever was in the room to yell and to, to say, worthy, worthy. And so this is what the living creatures and the elders are saying to the one on the throne, worthy, worthy of you, are of all praise and honor and power and glory. Worthy are you, this is way, I think C.S. Lewis, he has this interesting moment in Reflections in the Psalms where he's, he's wrestling as he's kind of becoming a Christian. He has this moment, he had this one hang-up where he said, the thing that I couldn't deal with in the biblical God is that it seemed like he demanded praise. And what kind of egotistical dictator demands praise from his creation? So he's kind of working out. So he has this famous section, you've probably heard it before. If you've been in RF long enough, you've definitely heard it before because I've used it probably like 10 times, uh, where he basically says, Praise is actually a natural phenomenon. That's why we praise movies that we love. That's why we praise books that we love. That's why we praise meals that we love. That's why we praise drinks that we love. That's why we praise people that we love. That's why we praise is this natural thing that comes forth in us. Lewis actually calls it inner health made audible. That we are when we are drawn to this, an object of beauty, we can't help but tell others about it. And then he says this after he has that incredible paragraph. He says this. He says, I think we delight to praise. So Hand your handout. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but actually completes the enjoyment. It is, it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. If it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all— and simultaneously at every moment to give the delight the delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in, in supreme beatitude. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. And commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. This is, <laughs> think about it like this. I can't think. When is the last time you were either you yourself saw a rainbow and were with another person or that other person, saw just a literal rainbow, saw a rainbow and didn't point it out. Like I was trying to think about this day. I don't think there's been a time in my life where I've clearly seen a rainbow and not said, Alyssa, look at that rainbow. Like I don't just look at it and be like, cool, and keep driving. <laughs> like it's one of those things that even a, a literal rainbow you draw attention to. And part of what John is saying, how much more the ones seated on the throne? That he actually is the beauty behind all beauties. He's the worthy one behind all things that we deem worthy. Uh, this is why years ago, or a few years ago when uh, Cheryl Strayed's Wild, the, the movie came out. I like to say I'm a book before movie person, but I'm realistic at 37 to say I'm a movie than book person at this point in my life, which I'm fine with. But she had that great line. This was the movie, like Alyssa for her birthday, we today went out and we didn't hike, but we went, she wanted to go walk the Congaree. And so we took our dog, Teddy, and, uh, you know, walked the Congaree. And it's, whenever I saw that movie, Wild, uh, which is based on Cheryl Strayed's book, that was the first time where I literally, there was about a week where I was like, okay, this is it. I'm getting gear. I'm going to go hike the AT. You know, I'm in. I'm going to become a hiking person. And that lasted about a week. And then I'm, now I'm back to me, which is not a hiking person. And, uh, but there's that one that she says in the book, and then Reese Witherspoon says in the movie, that I don't think is original to her, but I like it. But if you've seen it or read it, you know it. Where she simply, over and over in the movie, she has that line where she says, put yourself in the way of beauty. Put yourself in the way of beauty. And that's what her whole journey of hiking was. It was putting herself in the beauty of the mountains and of trails and of nature. And I think this, what we could say is, what's happening on the throne Is these creatures and these men and women are putting in not just putting themselves in the way of beauty, but they are seeing and are sitting and moving around the beauty itself, the the beauty, God Himself, which anything that we love. There's this C.S. Lewis letter that I love. Where Do you know the story where there was a little kid that loved Narnia and he loved Aslan? And he wrote to Lewis, a 10-year-old little kid, he wrote to C.S. Lewis, and he said, I'm afraid, he told C.S. Lewis, it was kind of a confession, he said, I'm afraid when I, I love Narnia and I love Aslan, and he says, I'm afraid that I actually love Aslan more than I love Jesus. It was the sweetest 10-year-old kid confession. And Lewis, who was famous for taking time to write, uh, kids back, wrote him a letter back, and he had this beautiful line where he says, do not worry about this at all. Why? Because what you think you love about Aslan, you really love about Jesus. And what's happening at the throne is they are in touch with the things that we think we love, the, the things that we deem beautiful, but they're in touch with with the one who really actually is beautiful and any beautiful thing that we see has its roots in God himself. And this is what the rainbow is saying, but there's a second thing that's even more beautiful than this, is if you know anything in scripture, the second thing the rainbow means, if you know anything about rainbows in scripture, you're gonna know the first place the rainbow showed up was right after the flood in the story of Noah. And you remember the story when, when God, when the earth, when the waters subside and this time to go back to the land God does a rainbow, right? He shows Noah this rainbow, and the rainbow is this promise that God's never going to destroy the earth again. And so the rainbow is not just about beauty and worthiness. It's equally about God's, we say it like this, God's trustworthiness. That, that, that God himself is believable, that he keeps his promises. That this is a God who is not impulsive. That this is a God who is not petty. He is seated on the throne, and he is beautiful, he is worthy, and he is believable, he is trustworthy. There's no promise that he's ever going to break. This is good news for you and me, y'all. Here's why. Think about all the things. I just had a list of about eight things or maybe ten things, I don't know, of promises, just as I could think about them, promises that God has made to us as people. Just listen to this. These are promises that God is never going to break in your life. He's promised to fight for you, Exodus 14. He's promised to strengthen you. Isaiah 40. He's promised to not break you when you are bruised, Isaiah 42. He's promised to remove your sins as far as east is from west, Psalm 103. He's promised to be with you always, even to the ends of the earth, Matthew 28. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 14. He's promised to prepare a place for you to live with him forever, John 14. He's promised to bring to completion the good work he has started in you, Philippians 1. And he's promised to wipe away every single tear from your eye, Revelation 21. And this is a God, the one who is seated on the throne, controlling everything. He's not just beautiful and worthy. He is believable and trustworthy. And he's never going to break a single one of these promises to you. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've read in the last probably 10 years is Cormac McCarthy's The Road. It's a moving story because it's basically apocalyptic wasteland. The mom in the story has, I think, if I remember right, killed herself. It's the dad and the son just trying to make it, just trying to live. And they are scavenging food. They're scavenging, you know, it's a, just a total futuristic wasteland. And the story, the thing that caught me off guard was is really is a story about a father and a son. And in the father and the son story, there's a scene that I love where the you know they are surviving. They're trying to make it together, and there's murders happening. There is po- you know poverty, starvation happening, and they find, they'll come out in these grocery carts and just scavenge what they can. And there's just one scene where they find some hot cocoa, and the son makes sure that the dad is always sharing the hot cocoa. And there's one scene that I love so much that the dad selflessly makes hot cocoa just for the son and is drinking hot water himself. And the son kind of wakes up from his sleep and he says, dad, no, you promised you weren't going to do this. And so the dad kind of sheepishly pours half of the cocoa in his cup. And the little boy says this, I love it. He says, I have to watch you. And he says this, he says, you said that if you break little promises, you'll also break big ones. And I love this because God doesn't break little, even little promises. That he is absolutely trustworthy. And so the the second question is, where are you struggling right now to find him beautiful or believable? Where are you struggling to be drawn forth in praise? And where are you struggling to doubt his promises to you? Um, There's a song when I was in youth group growing up, when I first became a Christian that I loved, that Third Day did. It was like an old Baptist, uh, it might have been a spiritual, but the lines were, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And John is saying, there is one on the throne. He is in absolute control. And also, he is beautiful and worthy of your life. And you can trust him with every single part of your life, which leads us to the last image. It's a door. If you, The way it opened, after this I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. We looked last week at another door, right? Uh, the door in Laodicea where Jesus, that powerful image, he's knocking at the door and he's saying, every single part of your story, every single part of your life, I want in. I, I want to come and transform every single thing in your life. But what we see in this passage is that God has a door too. That God has this door where it's not just he wants to be invited into every part of your life, but he wants you to see and be invited into every part of his life. This is the, the way the vision opens. There's a door and it is open. And there through that door John sees this throne. And he sees this beautiful one seated on the throne. What this means is, is he wants to bring you more and more into touch with the reality of his glory and of his grace. He wants to bring you more into touch and your life more into touch with things as they really are with him ruling and reigning the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. This means that Jesus not only stands and knocks at the doors in our lives, but we also we find, this is the thing, it's really two sides of the same door. We find the more and more we open those doors and invite Jesus to change us, those places where we're terrified, the more and more he invites us to see and rest in the reality of His the one on the throne has, has everything under complete control and he cares for you and he loves you and he knows what he's doing. But we're afraid. If you're like me, you're afraid of giving up control. You're afraid of giving up the things that you think are worthy right now. The things that you find beautiful that are not Jesus. We're afraid. We're afraid to open the certain doors or even walk through this door in revelation four. this house thing. I'll close with this. Uh, there was a moment a few weekends ago where I was sleeping in on a Saturday. Uh, one of the things that is beautiful when your kids are older is they can get up and like fix their own breakfast. And so dad and mom get a little extra sleepy time, which is nice. And so I was sleeping in, and I just heard, knock at the door. Usually it's neighborhood kids, and you just don't answer. They go away. Knock at the door, knock at the door, knock at the door. Pounding of the doorbell, pounding of the doorbell. So I'm like, all right, I'm getting up on my boxers, walking down. I don't even think I put a shirt on, which was going to be awkward. Anyways, so I go to the door, look through the peephole, and I see this person standing. They're not, their faces, they're in a rain jacket. It's kind of drizzling out. They're just standing kind of gently hovering at the door, and I'm thinking, I'm not opening this door. (laughs) What What in the heck is happening? Now, the thing you have to know is my dad was visiting for the weekend, and I'm like, this, like, this is not my, like, my, I don't know where my dad is, but this is not my dad. Like, I couldn't see his face. Like, he's in this jacket. Then I'm like, what do I do here? Like, this, is this person come to kill my family? And then I'm like, all right, I need to open this door. And then, sure enough, it was my dad. He's a, uh, an avid smoker. And he had gone, he's a Marlboro, Marlboro man, So he had gone out and, uh, apparently locked himself out of my house. <laughs> so he was like, you know, Pounding at my door, and, and I was really pissed at this point, to be honest with you. But let him in. What does this I have to do anything? Here's what it has to do. I just can't keep thinking about the, the strangeness and, like, the funniness to me of It's here I was, terrified that this was someone who's come to harm me. Genuinely convinced. Like, I'm not a person who's easily scared, and I'm convinced. I have no idea who this is, and I think they've come to hurt it, hurt me. And then opening the door to realize, oh, it's my dad. The last person on earth who wants to hurt me. And I think for me that's powerful because I think there's, this is what's happening a little bit in Revelation 4. The one who's owned the throne, controlling everything. The one who is worthy of all praise. The one who is worthy of... Who 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 also will keep, he's trustworthy. Who he will keep his promises? Is your father and my father. Uh, we can say it like this. There's a, a place in Revelation three where Jesus says this. He says to us. He says to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The one on the throne who is worthy of praise and honor rules over everything. He is your Father who loves you, and he knows what he's doing in your life, and he actually welcomes you to come to his throne of grace in your time of need, which, by the way, is all the time. And more than that, his throne, this throne at the center of the universe that we so often don't see is actually as his children where we are going to spend eternity seated with him. I'll close with this. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. I've said that like three times. Just reminding you, there weren't enough anxiety. But that's what I think about. There, that can bring all kinds of anxiety, right? And here's what I want you to see. Your worth, this passage means, your worth doesn't come through some, some boy's eyes. Your worth doesn't come through some girl's eyes. Your worth comes through. The eyes of the one seated on the throne, and they are the eyes of a father. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would work um, this passage deep into us, make our hearts rich soil, continue to um, help us wrestle with you where we need to. And Lord, I pray that you would do these things for our good and for your glory. We pray them in Christ's name. Amen.